Atamaria, welcome to First Up. This is Ramire, Friday, the 21st of October. Kornathan Rararia coming up. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Yeah, Liz Truss is out after 44 days as the Prime Minister of the UK. Uh, back home, we've got the new Mayor of Matamata with us as we continue to meet the mayors uh, this week. Also, we've got the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Does he have a long-lasting lettuce that's longer than 44 days? And we meet the Italian rugby captain. What a day! Morena, I'm Nathan Rarade. Nice to have your company on what has become a frantic Friday. Liz Truss has resigned as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and she'd only been in office for 44 days. Her resignation speech was delivered outside Number 10 Downing Street about three hours ago. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent and our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. We will talk with our correspondent Henry Riley later in the hour and you are going to hear all about that story right across the day because it's it's about the biggest political story in the world going down now. But we'll go to the other side of the pond in the USA and I'm joined from New York by our correspondent Bevan Hurley. Kia ora Bevan, how are you? Kia ora Nathan, doing well thanks. So the leader of, of the Republican Party, Kevin McCarthy, he's threatening to halt the aid to Ukraine. What, what's he said? Yes, Nathan. Um, the midterm elections are just two and a half weeks away now, and we're beginning to get a glimpse of what changes may be coming. Um, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy um, this week said that Republicans would not be writing any blank checks for Ukraine if they win back the House majority. And that reflects uh, his party's growing scepticism about financial support for Kiev. Um, McCarthy is in line to become Speaker should Republicans win the House. And his comments have raised concerns about the resiliency of America's support for Ukraine, uh, particularly um, those MAGA Republicans aligned with Donald Trump's America First approach. Um, since Russia launched its invest- invasion in February, Congress has approved tens of billions in emergency security and humanitarian assistance for Ukraine. 
and also shipped billions of dollars worth of weapons and equipment. But that vital lifeline suddenly appears under serious threat. And it's one of just a number of changes uh, that could be in store should Republicans take back the House. Uh, McCarthy has also said he wants to force federal cuts uh, to health and social security spending. And he could do that by refusing to raise the government's debt limit. Um, now, that debt limit, which is effectively the country's borrowing cap, um, will need to be lifted next year to protect the country's credit score and to prevent the US from defaulting on its debt, which would cause a major disruption to global financial markets. Uh, Republicans will also have carte blanche to launch congressional investigations into all of their favourite topics, such as Hunter Biden, um, the origins of COVID and a few other issues, um, and would also likely wind up the January 6th House Committee, which um, would probably allow Donald Trump to run up the clock on the subpoena that was issued uh, just last week. Um, so the political forecasting site 538 is giving Republicans a 77% chance of winning the House. So we're looking at a very consequential midterm election uh, on November 8th, Nathan. Mm, it's, he's gone with the whole, oh, the blank check, the good old, well, when will it end uh, strategy. That's uh, an interesting one. Tell me about this. So George Floyd, of course, he was murdered by police. His family are suing Kanye West. What, why is this? Yes, um, it's been hard to get away from all of the um, statements that Kanye West has been making over the last week or so. Um, and the one that's really um, captured some of the headlines is this is this comment that he made on a podcast where he said that George Floyd's death was due to fentanyl use. Now, the cause of uh, George Floyd's death is settled law. We know that um, that former Minnesota um, police officer, Derek Chauvin, kneeled on his neck for over eight minutes, um, you know, those of us uh, who are interested or followed the case would have would have seen that awful video that showed it. Um, and you know that he he this putting forward this um, suggestion has got him into potentially hot uh, legal water. Roxy Washington, who is the mother of Floyd's daughter Gianna Floyd, has said she's going to sue um, Ye as as he's uh, now referred to as um, and his associates for two hundred and fifty million dollars for harassment, misappropriation defamation and infliction of, of emotional distress. Um, an attorney for Roxy Washington called Kanye's comments a repugnant attempt to discount George Floyd's life and to profit from his inhumane death. Now, the First Amendment in the US, Nathan, obviously offers a lot of protection even to make ghastly statements such as this, but because it has been legally determined in court um, how Mr. Floyd died, that this could, in, in fact, um, you know, result in a significant payout. And of course, we've all seen uh, those really horrific remarks that uh, Kanye has been making um, about the Jewish population. He, he wore that White Lives Matter shirt. So he is really um, on a tear at the moment and, and he, he's refusing to apologise and even double down in subsequent media appearances. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. There is Bevan Hurley who joins us from New York City. It is at 12 and a half, I nearly said 12.30, 12 and a half past five here at uh, First Up on RNZ uh, National with me, Nathan Rarity. We'll go to Africa now and joining me from Accra in Ghana is our correspondent, Nabil Ahmed. Morning, Nabil. How are you? Fine, thank you, Nathan. How are you? Good. Let's go to uh, Kenya. News from Kenya. There's a big uh, cholera outbreak there. What can you tell us? Well, indeed, uh, the cholera outbreak in Kenya has happened in about six out of 47 counties. Now, health officials are saying that uh, the outbreak may get worse because of drought in many parts of the country. Now, they've actually sent um, health experts to the most affected counties to try to respond to the outbreak. 
and uh, it's raised a lot of alarm in the country and um, the health workers are doing all they can to try to curtail the outbreak of the disease, Nathan. What, what about, uh, let's go to Chad now, there's been some very violent clashes there. Why is that happening? Well, um, people in Chad are not happy about the current transitional uh, military government. They basically want a return to civilian rule and they staged their protest and there was a clash between the protesters and then the uh, police. Uh, we understand that uh, there were a number of fatalities and dozens of people have been injured as a result. Now, we know that the protesters actually attacked uh, the party headquarters of one of the recently appointed prime minister uh, in the capital, and they also set fire to the main entrance of the premises. And in response, the police used a gunfire and tear gas to disperse the protesters, and that resulted to the clash between the protesters and then the police uh, service. Now, you are in Accra, uh, the in Ghana. I understand there's a strike going on uh, near you. What? What are these? Who's striking, and why? Well, basically, Nathan, uh, traders are striking because they are not happy about the current economic challenges in Ghana. Basically, inflation has skyrocketed. As of last month, uh, inflation rose to nearly 38%. Now, the local currency, the city, has also depreciated woefully against the U.S. dollar. Um, Some analysts have reported that the city is the worst performing currency in the world so far. And this has really taken a toll on businesses, and they are saying they cannot sustain um, their trade any longer, and they want the government to really act fast to tackle the economic crisis. And this protest, in terms of shutting down their shops, is to draw the attention of government to really act fast, Nathan. So inflation nearly 38%. Wow. Yeah. Um, wowee. Uh, and also, too, this, this sad story here, too, from South Africa, uh, where a, gir- a giraffe has killed a toddler. Indeed, it's a very sad story because the toddler is just a 16-month-old girl and she died uh, in a hospital after uh, the giraffe trampled upon her uh, at a uh, game reserve in South Africa. Now, um, police are saying that the details of the incident is quite sketchy at the moment and they are trying to investigate it and to to really know what really caused the death of um, the toddler. But now um, there are such real concerns about the safety of such uh, reserves and um, people are calling for enough measures to be put in place so that such incidents do not recur, uh, Nathan. Mm. Nabil, thank you very much for your time. Uh, That's the news out of Africa uh, with our man Nabil Ahmed. It is 16 past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radity. Let's go to a bit of sport. Black Ferns prop, Crystal Murray, is a proud Northland and Ngāpui uh, product. And on Saturday in Whangarei, she will realise a long-held dream of playing for her country on her home ground. The match against Scotland, which is New Zealand's final pool game, will be the first time the Black Ferns have played outside Auckland during the World Cup. And for Murray, it's a chance to inspire the next generation of women's players from Te Tai Rugby reporter Joe Porter has more. New Zealand still playing. Murray busting through a hole. The Black Ferns prop, Crystal Murray, is known for her hard running. She stormed over for a try in last week's win over Wales, and she runs it just as straight when she talks about how hard it's been to make the national side coming from the far north. 
A former New Zealand Rugby League representative, Murray captains the Northland Cody in the Farah Palmer Cup, and she joked she's envisioned running out for the Black Ferns at Seminoff Stadium only a couple of thousand times. It's just amazing. It's been a dream of mine to be here representing my people, my, my hapori in front of everyone, and it's just good for everyone to witness it as well. Murray loves Northland and lives in Kaitaia despite the difficulty that can create when trying to gain national selection. It hasn't always been easy for Northland players to make the Black Ferns with their Farah Palmer Cup team only established three years ago. New Zealand play their final pool game against Scotland and Whangarei tomorrow and Murray hopes having the World Cup in her province and that of fellow Napuhi star Portia Woodman will be a boon for the sport in Te Atai Tōkoro. That's one thing that's at the front of my mind and my motivation, knowing that there has been we've struggled with a pathway to this team from home, from here in Northland, so I'm happy that the girls can see that it can be done from here. Murray played for the Kiwi Ferns at the 2017 Rugby League World Cup and is a dual international. She says her league skills help with her rugby, but as a front rower, she concedes, it wasn't an easy adjustment. To be honest, I didn't think I'd be in this position. Um, the transition has been quite hard, a lot more technical um, in my position, and yeah, the learnings have been great, but hard. Murray will come off the bench against Scotland with the Black Ferns coaches making a raft of changes for their final pool game as they seek to nail down their first choice team ahead of next weekend's World Cup quarterfinals. It's 19 past five, Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, more on the political chaos in the United Kingdom. Wake up the kids, it's nearly time for Fruit of the Week. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in the rear Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head Yes, it's that time of the week we're going to whip down the produce markets now Joining us is the Minister of Fruit and Veggie Still there, uh, more than 44 days in charge He's been there for ages He is Glenn Forsyth Kia ora Glenn, how are you? Very well, Nathan. How are you, buddy? Good, my friend. Now, you, um, I like this. You've been getting in there. You've been speaking to an industry legend who's also celebrating a huge birthday. Tell us about this. Yeah, I heard your wonderful clip yesterday with the lovely Glenis Lou. I mean, she's amazing. Our Mount Eden residents are so lucky, and her dad opened that store in 1953. However, we talk about a shop still going that opened in 1922, Shire's Fruit and Veg Market in Dannyburg. They were awarded the Wellbeing Excellence in Business Award at the New Zealand Indian Central Association Gala Awards this year. Now, I talked with Suresh Patel yesterday as he was packing up for the day nearly 8 p.m. at night. His granddad, Chibber, arrived in New Zealand in 1918, passed through Dannyburg, sorry, and, and the rest, they say, is history. Now, it's Hawke's Bay anniversary today, as you well know, Nate. That's and right, so it an is. Opportunity, <laughs> it is, mate. So an opportunity to pop down to the big Dannyburg market day, including Shire's Fruit and Veg 100th birthday. Some of the specials, tomatoes, four nine nine a kilo, sound like a mad butcher here, bananas, $1.98 a kilo, and 45-count avocados, which is the spec we call them in the market. Now, that's the biggest fruit, so they're about the size of moa eggs, four for $4. Now, that's an absolute steal. He's a great local man, as our Mr. Suresh Bay. Beautiful produce spilling out onto the footpath. A real old-school greengrocer still going in the modern days. It's a real shop to, to, to look out for. Beautiful. Down in Danny Vegas, way to go. Um, now, you just mentioned there... Um, you know, uh, the, the owner there being Indian. Indian communities, they celebrate Diwali 
this weekend. And, you know, fruit markets can tend to get localised. Do you see more Indian origin produce available around this time of year? Oh, it was all the talk at the markets yesterday, that's for sure. So, yeah, some vegetables in good supply at the end of this week and to pack up for the long weekend if you're heading away is asparagus, capsicums, eggplant, tomatoes, lettuce and spinach is also improving in supply. So some good lines there. Now, there were even the beginning of the Better Bites snacking carrots available that the little ones could eat in the car. Now, but as you say, Diwali, that kicks off this weekend and had the chance to catch up with Peter Pan from Healthy and Fresh who brings over a lot of Indian veg from Fiji and very popular during this festival. Their sales have doubled on lines this week, like curry leaves, turmeric, long purple eggplant and okra, which we mentioned on Monday, the latter two being their best sellers. Some options with fresh okra is cut in half and deep fry them or chop them up with onion and potato, which makes a good dry vegetarian curry. The long purple eggplant, now that's very versatile. You can cube it with onion, potato and peas, I've been told, cook and add tomato at the end to make a yummy gravy. Or you could, you know, you could simply stuff them the way you do with the other eggplants. So yeah, some options there for you on on, that, on those vegetables. Okay, okay. Let's head over to the fruit aisle. What's in store for this long weekend? Okay, some good choices here for the road trip as well. Must-takes for the car are a new shipment of USA grapes and Australian pack and pears, plus blueberries and strawberries, so they're you know, very easy in their containers. Plenty of citrus this long weekend with tangelos, navel oranges, lemons and grapefruit. They're all featuring and finishing on green um, kiwi fruit. Now, these Australian pack and pears, they're magnificent, though. Munched on two yesterday morning and grown mainly in the state of Victoria. These will be the main green pear through to the end of the year now. And now, here's the fruit of the week for Labour Weekend. Oh, Glenn, 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 what's your fruit of the week? It's New Zealand Encore Mandarins. (laughs) That's right. And, and, you know, we all know the Labour Weekend. That kickstarts all our spring produce. It's a great pick, and our expert Ian Albers from First Fresh, he shares his wisdom from the citrus capital of New Zealand, Gizzy. It's New Zealand's only tried and true summer mandarin, outstanding flavour that will only get better over the next couple of months, and a great addition to any fruit bowl between now and Christmas. It's good value buying, he says, a top selection in the school lunch or after school snack, and it's a chance to support our New Zealand Encore Mandarin growers. I ate those yesterday too, they're beautiful. And what do we always say about the mandarins? Leaves your fingernails smelling beautiful. Thank you very much, Glenn. There is Glenn Forsyth, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yeah, this is the day of our life we call the 21st of October. We do it every year too. We're so consistent. Uh, this day in 1824, the po- Portland cement was patented. So there you are as you're walking around on some cement today. Just lean down and give it a high five. Okay, thanks, Portland Cement Recipe. Um, no longer with us, but celebrating well, the birth of their day today. In 1833, Alfred Nobel was born. The Nobel Prize uh, named after him. He was born in Stockholm. And uh, Michael Lubavitz, Manfred Mann, born in Johannesburg in South Africa in 1940. And Carrie Fisher, uh, most famous, of course, as Princess Leia, uh, born on this day in 1956. Important cultural figure Kim Kardashian turns 42 today. 
maybe. And also, remember, Gavin Lovegrove, loved Gavin Lovegrove. I was got really excited when I'd watch him throw a javelin. Gavin Lovegrove, New Zealand uh, javelin thrower and graphic designer, turns 55 years old today. Uh, on this day in 1940, Ernest Hemingway published his classic novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls. And also on this day in 1964, My Fair Lady came out, had its world premiere, won eight Academy Awards, including that for Best Picture. And this day last year was the day that Alec Baldwin discharged a prop weapon on the set of the movie Rust. Now remember that weapon was loaded and he killed the photog- uh, the director of photography, um, Helena Hutchins. Now I actually found out that that lawsuit uh, was settled for an under- undisclosed sum only two weeks ago. There we are. So those are the happenings of this day, the 21st of October. Joining us now from the business team, it's Anan Zaki. Kia ora, Anan. Morena. Um, government under fire over skilled migrant visa, says headline. What do you say? Well, uh, look, the government is being uh, accused of giving mixed signals uh, hoping for people hoping to meet uh, skilled migrant visa requirements. So uh, for the skilled uh, migrant visa, that's uh, a category that was reopened last week by Immigration NZ. And applications have a deadline of the 9th of November for the uh, initial intake. So it's not too far away. Um, we heard from an immigration lawyer, Aaron Martin, and he told us that uh, applicants can't get qualification assessments in time due to uh, bureaucratic red tape, this is what he calls. Um, and he says the issue is NZQA, uh, which is the Qualifications Authority, um, it's uh, recently scrapped the fast-tracked initial qualification assessment for applicants, and so a full assessment, which uh, they now have to take, takes 12 weeks. So you can see where the issue is here. He reckons uh, clients are being set up to fail. Uh, he also thinks it's unlikely for it to be any easier next year with the points threshold increasing uh, before another change to a system which has a proposed six-point checklist. So it's a bit of a sticking point. Uh, even last week when uh, the reopening of the skilled migrant visa category was announced, we had an immigration advisor say it would be a bit of a mad scramble to meet the deadline. But uh, look, this, despite these comments, we haven't heard any signals that the deadline uh, may be extended. Mm. Amazon in the UK, there's always interesting stories about them with you know dumping things or whatever. They face a $1.8 billion legal claim. That is huge. What is that about? It's massive. Uh, it's a, so a consumer rights advocate in the UK has filed a $1.8 billion or about £900 million pound, uh, legal claim against Amazon. Uh, so it's alleging that Amazon is breaching competition law uh, and that's resulting in higher prices. So the claim is uh, products uh, sold on their website and app uh, obscure better value deals. So uh, more than so, more than eighty percent of purchases on Amazon are made uh, through featured offers on what's called the buy box. So that's a stack of buttons on a product listing labeled, um, you know, it's got labels saying "Add to Cart" and "Buy Now." Mm. Now, I didn't know this, but this is really interesting. Not every seller has this feature, um, so it's uh, something 
that only uh, you know really high traffic sellers basically can have. So the allegation is that independent sellers are being excluded from the buy box, even when they offer the same thing for cheaper, which the claim says is breaching UK and EU competition law. Uh, so the claim's been filed in the Competition Appeal Tribunal in London, looking for damages, like I said, around £900 million. And anyone living in the UK who's made purchases on the UK app or website since October 2016 is eligible to be part of the claim. Oh, there we go. We get in on that one. Thank you very much. You can hear more from the business, uh, on the business team. Excuse me. <clears> on <throat> morning report this morning at ten to seven. Well, look, we're getting to the business end of the women's rugby world cup with quarterfinal places to be decided over this weekend. One of the teams looking to secure their spot in the top eight are the Italians. They played Japan on Sunday, so Italy won their first match against the United States. They fell just short against the Canadians, so this weekend is a must-win for them. One of the stalwarts of the team is the lock Valeria Federighi, uh, who was kind enough to chat with me ahead of the big game. The match against the USA was incredible. We felt so good. It was the first match, so we didn't know. You know, it's the first match of the World Cup, and uh, you are so excited to be there and finish that with a win. So we were very excited, and we bring our confidence to our team, to our group, and it was uh, it was very good. It was incredible. And also as well, I guess it means that, what well, you know, everyone's got a bit more confidence and they're a bit happier at training. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we work very well during all the summer, and uh, I think we are a very good group, you know, very positive all the time, but uh, we have to test our potential, potential, sorry, and uh, even if we play Six Nations every year, because we are very lucky that uh, during the during March and April we can play the Six Nations, so test us with amazing team like England and France, we need, we need that, we need to prove that we can uh, be competitive in during this tournament so yeah I think so yeah I mean I mean, a lot of our listeners in New Zealand might not appreciate that that you know you, you play in, in the Six Nations as well as what you get yeah. to do but I mean it's an unfortunate common thing that I hear from you know the women's rugby team that you know you, teams that you don't get as long to prepare as the men do and you know I mean do you feel in this tournament have they made you feel well looked after and have they made you feel like the rugby stars of the planet that you are of course, of course. I mean, uh, it's a World Cup. Uh, it's the dream uh, because it's the best tournament w- where you can be as a rugby player. And also we played as in New Zealand <laughs> where rugby is like uh, the best sport you have in New Zealand. I mean, <laughs> for us, uh, as we see it uh, from Europe, it's uh, the best sport you have in New Zealand. And so like... Uh, it's wonderful. It's like a dream, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm so happy. And I think everyone from Italy, my teammates, uh, we are so proud to be there. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Now, um, obviously, we're quite happy with Portia Woodman. We think that she scores great tries. But uh, Vittoria Minuzzi's try against Canada in the first 30 seconds. Yeah, might be the best. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> How often yeah. does she talk about that try? Uh, no, actually, she's very shy, very quiet, you know, so she doesn't speak a lot about that, but she's a very good player. And, you know, you have Portia Woodman, and she's a great player, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, we have Victoria. 
and it goes, she's very young also so yeah she she will be a great player yeah. she is and she will be i mean you know we're seeing more and more of these teams become more and more competitive with each world cup that comes yeah. tell me how you view the women's game of rugby around the world like how do you think strong it is and what would you like to see happen for the women's game like in terms maybe of backing and confidence by the by the national bodies I think uh, women rugby is growing up a lot in this last uh, maybe 10 years, five years more. But uh, yeah, I think it's growing uh, at its best. And uh, this uh, World Cup is the proof because it's the first time we are uh, so um, televised and commercialized, uh, as uh, you can see. uh, But uh, it's the first time. For me, it's the second World Cup. The first one was in Ireland in 2017. And uh, I didn't feel the same uh, as uh, this one because uh, this time it's uh, all the eyes are on us, you know, if uh, it's, you understand this expression, I don't know. Yes, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, and so I think uh, the future of women rugby can be great. In Italy, it's not like in, in New Zealand, you know, there is a l- less players, women players who played. And my my hope that uh, is that uh, this game can grow up a lot uh, in Italy as well. And uh, yeah, that's it. I think uh, it will be great in the next few years. Now, our offices are in the middle of Auckland City, and we've spotted some of the World Cup teams that have been going around on electric scooters as they have a look around. Has your squad been doing that in the downtime? Yeah, yeah, of course. We are uh, looking uh, how is it is this uh, New Zealand. It's uh, in the other side of the world for us, so it's very special. And we have when we have free time, we can try. We try to get in the spot that we don't know, you know. And uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> we are trying to to discover new places, you know. <laughs> have you guys found a favorite restaurant that you like to eat in yet? Uh, we are trying to look for some Italian restaurants, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> because, <laughs> oh, man. Just because, no, no, it's, it's a joke, but actually <laughs> we miss a lot of pasta, you know? <laughs> so sometimes we are, just need some pizza and pasta, sorry. It's very, like, stereotypical, stereotype, but anyway, it's, like, very Italian, but <laughs> we miss pasta, I know. <laughs> sorry about that, but... <laughs> No, I was thinking for the restaurant on the way in, that would be so scary. Like, you guys walk in and they're like, who's that? Oh, that's the the Italian women's rugby team. And you're like, oh, I'd be too nervous to serve yeah. you. I mean, how embarrassing is New Zealand pizza compared to, like, pizza in Italy? Uh, no, no, it's, please, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no, I think no, you answered. I cannot answer. No, I'm, jo- <laughs> I'm joking. No, yeah, oh, actually, it's not so bad. Huh? And you have a lot, like, your meat is great. Huh? Really, really, I love it. Oh. But uh, about the pasta and pizza, maybe, yeah. <laughs> That's Italian lock, Valeria Federighi. So if you, if you can text through your suggestions, that'd be great. We will pass it on to the team. Good Italian food in Auckland. We'll pass those on to them. Time for some Barry Guy in your life as we uh, have a look at a smorgasbord pizza. of sport and a weekend. <laughs> How are you, Barry? Good, I'm thinking about pizza now. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Imagine the intimidation. There are a whole bunch of Italian women here. We have to cook Italian food and feed them all. Athletes. Yeah. Mm. I'd, be, I'd be too intimidated. I wouldn't put my lasagna in front of them. <laughs> no way. 
<laughs> no. They'd laugh at it. They'd be like, what's this? Anyway. What's yeah. uh, what's what's that what are you what are you pointing to? I mean it would be all excitement in Wellington, there's an NPC final going on. What are you what are you looking at? Uh uh I'm very excited about the cricket, actually. Uh the start of the uh, T20 World Cup. Yes. Although I am a little bit concerned about uh, New Zealand because they didn't get that game in, uh, against India during the week. And I do think that they're going to be a little bit... While well, they had those uh, that tri-series here in New Zealand, they have, they've only played one game against um, whoever it was and they lost in that warm-up game and um, South Africa... And uh, they weren't on the field for that long because they got bowled out, and then the South Africans. I'm I'm concerned that they're not ready on in those pitches. And now I see Sri Lanka won last night, so Sri Lanka now joins their group, and the West Indies could join their group, and they've had three games already. Hmm. And it's and they the New Zealanders play um, Australia first up, and you know they're going to be tough to beat. So. Um, Playing a host nation, in a, a red-hot host nation yes. without much warm-up. And so... Well, we um, love those odds. Yeah. We're New Zealand. That's we march right. into that, don't we? And what I yeah. can see what's going to happen is that they're going to lose a couple of games. They're going to be in contention all the way through, and it will come down to the last game, and then they'll sneak in. And, you know, that typical New Zealand thing where they, they hold on and they hold on and they get there, and then hopefully that continues all the way through to the final. Captain. So, anyway, that starts. And, of course, we have the uh, Black Ferns excited yes. about that. That's their last uh, pool game against Scotland. Um, I'm uh, interested just to see how well this uh, team goes and that, that forward pack. I was a bit critical of the forward pack last bit weekend, a, uh, but Wales. Slight so, um, rotation going on there, I, yeah. I see, but uh, that's interesting. They, like, should, they should be okay, though, and, and mm. when they come down to that quarterfinal, that's when they've got to mm. put their uh, top team out. So, yeah, uh, looking Barry, forward to that. There's something that I've been trying to put into the show for the last couple of days, and I don't know where it fits, and I think it's sport. So I just want to know if you will support me on this. Um, So uh, there is a Frenchman called Ginot, and he set a a record in the French Stretchy Cheese Championships. Mm. So um, they have a dish there called Aligot, which is an incredible, it's kind of like mashed spuds with cheese in it, right? And Mm. then what they do is they put an oar in it, and then they stretch it up to go. Ginot's one was so good, they had to get a scissor lift in his big thing, 5.9 metres uh, as it stretched before the cheese snapped off. And um, I did some maths. That's 2.77 Stephen Adams length. Wow. Is, is that sport? It, yeah, 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 yeah. Was, uh, where was that held? This is in front in, uh, in Young Mountain. It's called Jeune Mountain. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's the uh, the stretchy cheese champs. Have a look for oh, it. Oh, the fromage championship. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allegor. It's Allegor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose talking about Stephen Adams, yeah. uh, the NBA competition underway, I think he pulled down 14 rebounds as um, Memphis beat the Knickerbockers yes. the other day. So um, you support a Canadian team, don't you? A uh, former Canadian team in basketball? No, no, no. no I'm an Orlando Magic. That's, that's, oh, my, that's my penance of sports championship fandom. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, I'm impressed with Stephen Adams and what this is about his eleventh season in the NBA now, isn't it? And he signed on for another couple of years. He's, mm. you know, if you if you get more than ten seasons in the NBA, you're a bit of a blooming star. And so, he's uh, beloved. He's beloved by fans of other teams as well. He's just got something they love, and, and all of them yeah. say he is the strongest player in the league by a country mile. Which was witnessed last year when he picked up a six foot ten man and just yeah. carried him away like a toddler, going no. Yep. Uh, a guy you don't want to 
rumble with. No. Something didn't win that award. What's this state? news of, of Sorensen's, I hear? Yeah, Scott Sorensen, uh, two-time uh, Penrith winner in the NRL. He's going to make his debut for the Kiwis, uh, their World Cup. How many World Cups have we got on at the moment? Uh, they're playing Jamaica in Hull, I think it's on Sunday morning. So Sorensen, who plays for Penrith, he's the fifth member of the Sorensen family to play for the Kiwis. Um, 70 years after his grandfather, Bill, uh, his brother, Dave, um, and also his uncles, Dane and Kurt. Yeah, I was going to go, yeah. Dane and Kurt running into the into the defensive line with that mullet just flowing out the back. That's right. <laughs> uh, Dane, he they played 45 tests or something. Mm. So um, he's there also, and also the Canberra Raiders uh, back, Christian, uh, Sebastian Chris, is also going to make his debut. But I just thought, yeah, as soon as I saw the name Sorensen, um, and then that came through. So congratulations to the Sorensen family. They keep going with the with the um, success in the Kiwis. They so, do. yes, there's another World Cup that we've got to look forward to. There's so many on at the moment. Um, don't, uh, you know, next week I get a bit confused about which World Cup's happening. And, yeah, there but, we are. Uh, looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, best of luck to the Wellington side, I suppose. Let's go. Peter yeah. Luckeye and... Um, Gosh, Riley Higgins, those two are going to play a lot of games for the All Blacks. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Barry Guy. Yeah, it's Wellington versus uh, Canterbury in the NPC final this week. It's coming up to a quarter to six in Nathan Rarere. Between now and the end of the programme, we'll try and fit in. We're going to speak to the new Mayor of Matamata and also find out just this, what has gone on with the UK's former Prime Minister, Liz Truss. <laughs> Professionals of the RNZ ship and the morning report team to here after six. It's Corin Dan who is with us. Kia ora, Corin. Kia ora, good morning. Yes, and we will be sailing uh, full steam ahead into British politics this morning, as you can imagine, with wow. Liz Truss having uh, resigned. I don't mm. think there was any great surprise after the chaos and shenanigans and just uh, believable scenes yesterday in British politics. Look, I, I saw someone saying, you know, soak it up, kids. This only happens every couple of months. <laughs> well, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for democracy. It's not a good thing for the for, no. for the UK. They need to sort it out quick, smart, and get some stability there. Uh, we will, of course, talk to our UK correspondents on the ground there for the very latest. We'll try for an interview with the lettuce. Well, at least the um, this is the lettuce which was <laughs> outlasted, which, which has outlasted by the sounds of it. Oh, um, Liz Truss, forty five days in office, she was. Now we might actually try and talk to uh, the a newspaper that actually put the lettuce up. I think it's the Daily Star or somebody like that. <laughs> bit of a gag, but these uh, it seemed to capture the public's imagination. It uh, just the sense of. Uh, inevitability about that after that mini-budget was such a disaster. Uh, also this morning, lots to get through from on local politics. We've got our political panel uh, Joe Moyer from Newsroom and Claire Trevett uh, from the New Zealand Herald political editors in. That is always uh, one to watch uh, on a Friday morning. Uh, we dissect the week. It's been a very interesting week in New Zealand politics. We'll talk to the Nats too about the National Party about the groundswell protest, also public spending yeah, uh, in the core public service. Yeah. Wow, we. There yeah. we go. We had stretchy cheese, though, so I bet you didn't. I that. heard that. Yeah, there That's we go. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you, Corin. Hey, look, uh, this week we've been uh, talking to a newly ame- uh, newly elected mayor every day. Uh, today it's uh, the turn of our lucky last for the week. It's the mayor of Matamata. It's Adrian Wilcock. Um, kia ora, your worship. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Now, you've been on the council for um, what a, a term or two, a couple of terms. There. What made you go, oh, I'm, actually, I'm going to run for the top job? Interesting question. 
Um, uh, our, our previous mayor, of course, was uh, standing down, and I was asked to stand, and it was like, oh, me, really? And, uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah, just amazing the support I had from uh, people around me that, that encouraged me to stand and, and give it a crack. So, yep, here I am. Yeah, there you are. Now, I mean, also as well as this, so you're also a dairy farmer too, so you're going to be juggling both jobs at once? <laughs> um, no, gradually stepping away from the, the physical side of dairying. Uh, back when I became a counsellor, I used to feed calves and go to the office and do all those things. Uh, but now our youngest son is actually um, taking over and, and t- doing a bit more of the management. So, yeah, a bit of a succession plan in place there. My husband goes and feeds the calves instead. That's, well, good on him. There you go. <laughs> he got it organised. I mean, so the, the government's emissions scheme must be a hot topic around where you are. Yes, definitely. Uh, they had the groundswell um, gathering in Lawrenceville yesterday because our district is Matamata Piako, so we've got the, the three towns of Matamata, Lawrenceville and Te Araha. So, yes, it's, uh, definitely we are a food basket and definitely affected by the scheme. What, what's your view on that? On, on the scale? Uh, yeah, pretty challenging. Um, when you hear that 20% of um, sheep and beef farms are going to become uneconomic, that, that certainly um, adds to the probably the woes of the dairy industry as well because a lot of stock that, get, uh, that are bought on dairy farms do end up being reared and go on to um, sheep and beef properties. So, you know, there's a flow-on effect through the whole, the whole primary sector, really. Hmm. And, and it will be difficult for us to... Um, to obviously come through with what this all means and, and the challenge around the trees that people have already planted that aren't going to be included in their uh, sequestration. Yeah. Also, uh, one thing too, very sad. Last week, one person died after a crash around those railway tracks there at um, State Highway 27, the, the intersection there in uh, Pukitutu Road. Um, how big of a problem are these open crossings for your region? Uh, there's, a, there's a few in the area, um, but it, it isn't a huge problem. I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on what what occurred there, but very tragic. You know, like this is uh, it's it's very close to home, and uh, yeah, it's it, I, I I hadn't really grappled with uncontrolled crossings. It's I don't know how many people cross that that little crossing each day. Mm. Um, there are warning bells, but yeah, can't I, I don't really have an opinion at this point. That we haven't been a lot of accidents on, on level crossings. Yeah. Well, area. Your Worship, thank you very much for your time. And I know you, you'll last longer than 44 days for sure. Uh, the, yeah, the, the Mayor of Matamata, that is Adrian Wilcock. And if you're wondering why I mentioned 44 days, we're going to speak about it now. When we cross to London, Henry Riley is there. We are working him hard uh, here. There's no rest days for Henry Riley this week for us. But Henry, uh, thank you very much for this. We've speculated about Liz Truss. We've seen the Liz Truss thing happen. Sum it up for our audience now. What's happened since I spoke to you, what, yesterday? It was yesterday. Hello, Nathan. We should stop meeting like this. <laughs> um, I mean, it's been quite an incredible morning in the UK, just to give you the chronology. So we spoke yesterday. Everything was fine, you know, to some extent. Um, this morning, the Transport Secretary, Anne-Marie Trevelyan, was on the broadcast round. She was asked, will Liz Trust be Prime Minister by Monday? Yes. Will uh, she lead the Conservatives into the next general election? Yes. 
This afternoon, 1.30 UK time, so a matter of hours afterwards, Liz Truss stood on the steps of Downing Street and resigned. It is quite incredible. Her position became untenable. Um, she spoke at the official podium, which she did, as you say, only 44 days ago when she was elected uh, by the members, leader of the Conservative Party and thus Prime Minister. She sp- she said on the steps that, you know, she recognised that uh, her, her bold plan hasn't worked I- effectively. She said she was standing down as party leader, staying on until prime minister, uh, until a new person is elected. And you remember when Boris Johnson stood aside, um, he was in there for months, two months he was in there um, yeah. as prime minister. Well, it looks like she could be gone as quickly as Monday. So how, I was wondering about that. Like, how does that work? Like you say, he hung on, I think even his, what do you call it, from being fired to her being appointed was even longer than 44 days. Why does it work like that? Yeah, you're quite right. It was significantly longer. The interim the interim government we had between those two months has been longer than this particular government. So it's been quite extraordinary. And, you know, the government had no intention of doing this. I mean, last night, as we said, the tra- the Home Secretary um, quit the government. We had a new Home Secretary appointed yesterday evening. The, the actual answer is that there's a group called the 1922 Committee. Now, that is the group where disgruntled Conservative MPs write letters and if a certain threshold is meant there's a leadership election. Now Liz Truss is immune from that threshold because you have to wait a year before you can get rid of a leader. But what happened this afternoon was that the man who was at the heart of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady, went into Downing Street and what we understand is effectively said you've totally lost control uh, and the support of your MPs it's best, we feel, that you resign. And so she's taken that on board, I imagine, after some resistance and realised that now the 1922 committee are coming up with this new procedure for getting a new prime minister. And they've realised it can't go on as long as last time, you know, because it went on for, for a few months. And also they're so keen to get Liz Truss out that they're, they've massively sped up the process. And what was quite striking is last time, 30 MPs, that is what candidate, there are 330 odd Conservative MPs, no, 380 odd Conservative MPs, candidates had to get 30 MPs to hit a certain threshold to stand. This time, 100 MPs. But Nathan, that's not the big story here. The big story here is Boris Johnson, we understand, is going to put his name forward. He's flown back early from the Caribbean where he's currently on holiday. If it goes to a membership, I would put my money where my mouth is and say he will win. The question is whether he can get 100 MPs, which is the new threshold, to get onto the ballot. That remains to be seen. Wow. I, you know, because I remember those people that walked out. I remember seeing all the stuff. They were full of their own importance. Like, yes, we've just selected the next prime minister. And they love that whole to deliver for the people line. Um, okay, so you've, you've got Boris having a run again and, you know, he'll grab a lot of the headlines. Who would stand against him? Would Is it Penny Mordant? Is that one of the people I'm thinking of? Or, or Rishi Sunak? Yeah, and she was a sort of... Yeah, both, I think. So they were, you know, Penny Morton was a somewhat surprise candidate at the last leadership. She was relatively, she was the first female defence secretary. So, you know, she's made a name for herself, but she was relatively unknown. She'd spent her time in Boris Johnson's government being a junior minister, so not at a cabinet level. Um, in fact, she was defence secretary under Theresa May. So, you know, she, she'd spent a long time as a junior minister. And she came out of the blue and really won the sort of uh, support of the Tory members, but didn't end up making it into the final two. She has a massive uh, grounds 
groundswell of support. I've just been listening to the radio and there have been Conservative MPs already going out into the media saying this is Penny's time. We need Penny Mordaunt. And Rishi Sunak, of course, the man who came second, he's expected to stand again. Um, goodness knows if that is going to be the case. We could end up in a situation where the three candidates we have are the two candidates that lost last time and the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson. So it's quite a bizarre situation. Um, just lastly, Nathan, Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, who I mentioned yesterday, who resigned from the government, she stood last time against Liz Truss. Hmm. Uh, my understanding is she's ruled herself out as well. So her backing will actually be quite crucial um, and, and may well help the next candidate uh, to be Prime Minister. No, it's going to be Prime Minister Harry Redknapp. We all know this. Uh, thank you very <laughs> much. Henry Riley, for your extended work this weekend. Thank you so uh, this week. Thank you so much, sir. Well, long weekend in New Zealand. Uh, be safe. Enjoy it. Um, here's one. Uh, Archie's Restaurant and Pizzeria, a new market for the Italian women's rugby team. Love the place. Butte menu. The owner, Archie's on the way. Oh, here's Nathan. The biggest sporting event this weekend is Nati Porau. Oh, East Coast versus Mid-Canterbury. That's Ruatoria. For, for the Lahore Cup uh, absolute magic there from Ian yes I hope have we got a replacement for the, uh, the the horse that had what was the white horse with the blue mane that was beautiful that one there uh, Morena Nate Farina in Ponsonby that's where I eat with my Italian mates they love it cheers Penny Morning Report is next with Guy and Corin. first up is having the long weekend off you can take us with us on the podcast we'll be back in your ears on Tuesday <laughs> 